Hey, Megan, Dr. G here for SPKN, the Sport Professional Knowledge Network. Today, we sit down with former professional football player, podcast host, host and author, Asante Cleveland, and Dr. Trevor Cody, licensed clinical sports psychologist at Amplify, who over the past 10 years has been working with collegiate, Olympic, and professional athletes, as well as C-suite executives. Guys, welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Happy to be here. Why don't we jump right in? Um, Asante, why don't you start? We'll just have you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves. Yeah, my name is Asante Cleveland. I spent four years playing in the NFL. Uh, my career ended, like most, very unceremoniously after a knee injury. And since that transition, I have been working to figure out like what I like, wanted to do. And since then, I've hosted a podcast uh, called the White Tiger Podcast, helping people uh, escape from whatever cages they put themselves in. And then I started writing a book about my childhood and the traumas I went through in order to um, help share my story to help others that were going through a similar situation during the 2020 lockdowns. And uh, ultimately, what I experienced then to help me make it to the NFL. That's, that's great. You're also working, um, you're doing something with Amazon. Is that right? Yeah. So I work in digital advertising now. Yeah. So that has been a fun new, uh, you're challenge. hired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been a, a great skill. It's been great doing something that is not dependent on how well my body holds up. Yeah. Good deal. Trevor, how'd you get here? Uh, how'd I get here? Well, I think I surrounded myself with amazing people to be able to kind of carry me to this place. Uh, but I started, uh, finished my um, collegiate uh, experience, played soccer in college and had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I knew that I had affinity for sports. I was that kid that woke up extra early in the morning to, to watch sports center at least three or four times before I could go to school. So I had that in my blood, but there was also another thing that was, how do I help others? How can I use my knowledge and affinity for sport? with this this combination of helping others and so i um i literally went to a, to a library after graduate after graduating college and typed in sport and psychology and, and this field popped up had no idea it existed and then from there literally i, I got lucky i attended denver university for um my master's in sport and performance psychology and then went to Boston university um to get my doctorate and specialize in sport and performance psychology as well there under dr amy butzel and through that whole process, it was just kind of just like, okay, I got to do this. And then I got to do that. And eventually got to the place where, okay, now you're um, in school and ready to, to start working with athletes. And now I'm at a place where I think I have a little bit greater understanding of what I'm actually doing. Uh, and so for me, it's really about uh, being productive, learning, and how do I serve others? Uh, for me, the serving others piece is, is really fundamental to guiding my day to day. And I, like I said, I've been very fortunate and grateful that I'm able to do that in the field of sport and highly competitive environments. And the mechanism which I can create change and serve others is by, you know, helping them heal, endure, and thrive from really the inside out. Uh, I There's a lot of passion and joy uh, for me to wake up every way and every, every day and do that. Um, and I've experienced some success doing it. So uh, for me, this is just the start. And I every day thank the people before me that allowed these positions that I'm in, whether it be at 
uh, at Amplify or um, right now at, at Holy Cross as a coordinator for um, student athlete counseling services. And those positions wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for, you know, my mentors and people before me. So uh, overall, that's kind of what I do in my interest. I, I think I'd love to share a little bit, like for me, like the big umbrella of like my purpose is how do I make and how do I continue to add to the movement of making mental health as accessible and as visible as strength conditioning and sports medicine in the field of athletic environments. For me, if we can just kind of have that, they all are equal. There's no one less, no one less important or more important. Um, I think, you know, the greater care for athletes and then their performance will be even better when they are completely cared for in all aspects. But of a few things that stand out from both y'all stories, right? Like there's a certain trauma or service to others. And there's, a, there's an implicit suggestion that sport is not working the way that we might want it to. Therefore, we need folks to tell their stories to provide therapy, to provide their personal narratives, to help kind of address that after the fact. So I wonder if we might talk about what was not maybe working in sports so well too. Well, just from my perspective, um, for the transition, it's so difficult. And we hear so many stories about guys who are all athletes uh, experiencing difficulties with their relationships, going through dealing with serious mental health issues and it, you you hear it when you're playing, but there's always the thought of like, oh, that's not going to happen to me because I'm different. I'm special. I'm going to figure it out. And when I went through my journey of I retired based off, I tore my meniscus and wasn't re-signed with the team. And I hadn't considered that my last play was my last play. And going through uh, in the moment, I saw how much of an issue it was of dealing with that huge loss of identity, dealing with that loss of community, and then having to figure out what you wanted to do uh, on the next phase of your life when you weren't done with the last phase, really. And so I wanted to, because I, I experienced like the depression, the anxiety, all that stuff. And it took a lot of work to get to a place where I was able to have more understanding of what I could have done better, what things I can continue to build upon. And I personally want to help other athletes who are going through that because no one really talks about it because when you're in the moment, you can't think about the end. And guys who are people who are still playing have no understanding about it. And there's a lot of times when people who have transitioned away from it are still struggling and don't really know how to articulate what they're going through. So sharing your story is so important. One thing that I always hear is, man, coaches, the staff, the environment, they they don't really seem to care about who I am outside of being able to make the tackle, being able to make the catch. How fast can I run? Um, and all they're asking for is, ah, it'd just be great to have a conversation with a coach or, or, or a teammate or a staff or whatever of like, this, this is just like one-tenth of what I do or who I am but yet all the money, all the attention is directed to this one thing. And it really, you know, what I've noticed is it kind of puts people in traps and pressure and the weight of the world on doing those things when then they lose focus on all these other aspects of their identity. And the one, you know, gee, when you mentioned about, you know, are we, is sport not doing the right thing? It's how, if we truly could care about the athlete in all aspects 
like I said, I think we've seen performance match and exceed when we're actually taking care of the entire athlete or just even talking about the athlete more than just what they do on the field or whatever um, realm that they're working in. So for me, that's where I think sport can really get back on track is um, allocating some level of attention and time and energy um, towards other things that they do besides just getting ready to play. And, and so ready we're going to be concrete about and, and thinking about the audience and if we're looking at youth sports or high school, college, professional, right? on that caring continuum, how does an organization or how uh, this is part of the debate in the caring literature, can an organization or a government entity, how do they really care compared to an individual? So maybe it, it might be even be easier for an individual to care and we might be able to provide some coaching education. Uh, so anyway, the point of the question is, Let's think about individuals and organizations at the different levels of sport and how they can express care. I just start with easy questions. I just, I'm really just a softie. I just throw out easy softball stuff. Well, I appreciate the systems level, right? Because when we talk about like individual stuff, but you know, if we're really going to create change, we got to look at kind of the, the upstream and how can the people at the top then kind of trickle down. Um, so I appreciate the, the question. Asante, do you want to, kind of give your thoughts or do you want me to uh yeah <laughs> I could. i'll pass it on to you to to do what i do best which is just parry the uh, the attention from the, from the individual side of it i think it comes from having dealing with coaches who care um i think it's a lot more prevalent with younger athletes um high school athletes where there is attention given to the individual because a lot of times uh Coaches may understand that this person doesn't have an opportunity to play at another level. And so they just want to help build the person up from where they are right then. But once you get into college, from what I noticed, um, now there's money involved. Now there's like high paying jobs involved. And for the coaches, a lot of them are more concerned on what can I do to win, secure my job and all this stuff, as opposed to what can we do to help build up these athletes and help them think bigger than just their sport and like from personal experience uh the coaches who recruited me after my freshman year got fired and then the new coaching staff who came in i don't think necessarily took took a lot of time getting to know people uh deeper than what they could do how fast they could run a 40 how many times they could bench press 225 outside of that that was their main focus because they're trying to win games and so from the coaching perspective, I think digging deeper into who these athletes are as people, what makes them tick, what are they interested in, what are their goals? And then from an organizational standpoint, putting systems in place to help facilitate that growth, help facilitate uh, creative expression, um, taking time to help people figure out who they are outside of sport because we all know it's going to end. So them being proactive about uh, creative systems like for that would be super beneficial for that. I love to add to that. Um, from first, from the youth standpoint, you know, the, obviously we got to get rid of just like, it's all about winning. When we're looking at the youth, there's a way in which we have to focus on skill development and character development. Neither of those two things require winning in order for those two things to grow. And if they can start from the coach or from whatever you know, travel club um, type of league, but if there is an institutional message that character development and skill development is our two top priorities, 
And we are going to do that through um, emphasizing our practices in a way that balances both of those things, that we are going to reward coaches that bring in, say, other people to teach these kids other things besides just how to kick the ball into the net. Um, are we going to reward coaches for being able to build character development sessions within their team? For me, skill building, character development, and getting away from winning in the youth, for me, is the is the utmost importance to that. And then guess what? Obviously, coaches will say, if you do those two things really well, winning's going to come from it. The biggest thing that I see is when coaches drop their ego and say, my caring system of showing you respect first and then you give me respect for me is when a player says, I'll jump through a wall for you. And when coaches, like for me, this is the caring system. When they literally say, I see you, I value you, and I'm going to do it first. I'm going to model it. And then, then I, then I give you respect that you give me respect back. That for me is, is another essential thing that I think can really change the way we view sport so often we see coaches like I'm, I'm in the coaching position. You give me the respect. This is what I want from you. Go do X. And we lose buy-in from our, from, from our players. So for me, when a coach can drop that ego and say, I'll give you, I'm going to show you what respect looks like. And then you can show it to me is, is, is fundamental to um, what we're trying to accomplish. So relationship, relational things too, right? If we, if we look at a few of the terminologies and terms that have been thrown around now, and go deeper with all of those things. What do we mean by caring, relationships, respect, um, and, and character building and virtues as a larger kind of picture of character building? But one of the things I think to consider here would be, right, there is some research that would show a stronger coach-athlete relationship or perceptions of care are linked to increased performance. Mm -hmm. So in this sense, right, having a good coach-athlete relationship whatever that kind of functionally looks like, respect, you know, caring, it improves performance. The, the, the challenge then, though, is that caring. It is just a developing a coach-athlete relationship caring for athletes. And theoretically, I would say no, that those are different concepts. They're related to each other, but the coach-athlete relationship and building upon that is not the same as how we define caring. The coach-athlete relationship really stuffs, it's on the field stuff. The caring piece is, does that coach ask questions about who that person is from their family background, where they're coming from, what are their values, what are their family values, what type of struggles have they had in their social life or school, and what are they doing in school? That is the caring system. You're basically putting your body on the line, and you are less inclined to want to do that for people who you don't feel care about your well-being, care about who you are as a person, uh, like don't like you mentioned, don't know family background, don't know what you've been through in the past, or and even worse, don't seem to care, and mm -hmm. that's make that makes it really hard to want to give it your all for that person. How do you motivate someone if you don't know their situation? I mean, you could make a a huge error in the way that you're trying to motivate someone if you don't know their their history. You tell them what to do. I mean, that's not surprising. I mean, football, you go out there and the coach tells you what to do and you line up and you do it. I mean, that's, that's fairly common. I mean, yeah. you go, here's how to do this technical skill or this physical skill, go do it. If you want to be here, go do it. If you don't want to be here, get the hell out. And, yeah. I mean, and a lot of it is based off fear, especially in the college level when 
this person, whether you like them or not, is the gatekeeper to your future. If you have aspirations to play at the next level, you have to do what this person says, no matter how you feel about it. Which is one of the reasons why we see more abuse in, in college football than we probably do in the pro level, because the pro level, you're not going to get away with that. Because the players union, because the players now have more financial capital and more social capital, you know, and social media as well, power. Let's go back maybe here to Asante, to your story too of, if you're thinking through, you know, your childhood up through all the sports that you played, you know, how is it that we get to, when you leave professional sports at that point, right? And you went to college and all those things, right? You went to college, right? You have a degree, you went to college, right? You're, you went to college, you know, that whole, uh, how is it that, you, you know, when you graduate or when you retire early then, right? All these skills that you have, you know, and you're still trying to figure out, both of you actually said earlier too, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what, what am I doing? What am I want to do with my life then? And, and, you know, let's talk about the lack of or the challenge to be so immersed in sports and that athletic identity that you had touched on. But then, right, how do I get out and then figure out who am I now and what do I want to do? Yeah, well, as you know, in college, you don't really have any opportunity to dive into other things outside of sports. Like college athletes essentially are the only people on campus who can't plan for the future. Like they can't go meet with uh, they can't go have an internship. They can't meet with um, agents or anything, but they can't really like plan for their future. So what I thought I wanted to do was uh, get into broadcasting. So during my off seasons, every year in the NFL, during one of my off seasons, I would do something outside of football. So like my rookie year, I worked in the marketing department for the 49ers. And then the next year I did a broad, an externship for three weeks for Comcast Sports. And so my thought was, all right, once I'm done, I would get into broadcasting. And early into when I was still trying to figure out if I was going to try to get on with another team after I'd already been told no by the Patriots, I had an opportunity to do uh, sports radio. And as I got into it, I realized I didn't really like it. It was so gossipy. We were talking about it's during the off season where the only thing that's really happening is guys are getting in trouble. People are getting arrested for dumb stuff. And like, that's what we were talking about. And I, I didn't really like that. So then it was, Oh shoot. My plan that I thought I had it all figured out. I, I don't want to do it. So then to figure out, all right, really now what do I want to do? And that was a tough uh, transition to, I tried a bunch of different things that were really looking back kind of out of context to who I was, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And also I didn't really know who I was without the sport. So I was just trying things, hoping something stuck. And it wasn't until one started doing the podcast where things felt right, where it was around being of service and like trying to share stories to help people. And then with sharing my own story, feeling a little more fulfilled to see like, okay, my purpose is around helping other people. And it's just about how do I want to do that and who do I want to help? So what I find fascinating to that is it wasn't that all of a sudden you realized that's what my, where my passion is. It was, you were just finally given a space to voice it or to find it. It wasn't like you you had to develop it at that time. So if people asked you early in your career, whether it be at Miami or in the league, and you were already like, you actually started to get, have those deeper conversations in the middle of your playing, um, I'm guessing it would have made the transition a tad easier. 
um, to not feel like, all right, it's done. What's next. It's like, how about I think about what's next while playing, but coaches are so afraid of, you can't distract me, him from him or her from thinking anything, but performing on the field. And so that for me is what I find fascinating to that story. Asante is um, if you were given the opportunity earlier um, and just given that space, um, it may, it may have, my guess helped a little bit in the transition next. I 100% agree. Uh, I think had I been asked some of those questions earlier. So what I would really like change the tide for me was after when I retired, I was invited to come on a podcast. And that was the first time where I had an opportunity to really like share my story, share what I learned. And it was so therapeutic for me that I just like kept coming back because at that time I had nothing else to do. So it was kind of scratching the need of like feeling like I was doing something, but also it was so helpful just to be able to share and talk about things. And that's when it started to morph into like, I came on as a co-host and started like having other people come on. But I, I think that had I been asked a lot of these questions a lot earlier or been prodded to like think deeper about my own personal situation, I think I would have had a much smoother transition. And look at how the right the, without a players union that none of that would exist, and that the players union right as a collective for the players' needs has been created and advocates and improves the players' conditions. Sometimes I have to make this obvious, right? As unions in this country have gone under decline, that that's the point of the union. Not not to say that they're perfect, but they are mm-hmm. one of the few people or places, institutions advocating for players' needs, because obviously those needs are not being met. Yeah, for sure. I think well, I, follow, I follow that up with college then. How, how much did they do that in college? There was, at my college, there was really none of that. There was nothing encouraging uh, thinking outside of just sports. And it's only been very recently when it's been actually celebrated when athletes have other interests outside of just their sport because for the most part people just wanted to know that their athletes that's all they thought of from sun up to sundown they only thought about their sport and how to get better and that's just not the case there are so many people we're all so dynamic so many different wildly different talents within a locker room that you would never imagine there are like artists there are musicians in there who also are good at this sport. So where does that, right? Where does all that come from, right? This, this is not like a natural thing. We expect athletes thing, right? To be wholly committed to just being an athlete. And we are constantly bombarded with messages of, you know, LeBron James or somebody else or Peyton Manning that's in the gym, on the court, never doing anything but that, practicing from sunrise to sunset, you know, grind it out, work harder than everybody else. This is the only way to achieve success. Right? All these things are, are naturalized, and then we have these expectations that we're supposed to kind of do these things, and it's nonsense, or, or it's, it's very harmful in some ways, too. It's not just the players, either. I mean, parents now. I mean, look at the movies that are coming out about Selena. I mean, um, uh, Richard. King Richard, and, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's up to the parents now to get them obsessed with a sport from age four. And then they get to college and we don't teach them how to transfer anything that they've learned to real life. I mean, it just seems like that should fall on somebody's shoulders. 
It does. Trevor, there's Trevor's cue to get looking at it, leaning in. I was just going to say, I leaned in. And then, we, and, <laughs> and then we wonder why this generation, whatever the generation we're in, why are they so way more anxious than the previous generations? Well, when you trap someone into just one thing and who they are in one thing, then they're forced to make sure that they're good at that one thing. They feel trapped. Well, what's the, what's the precipice of feeling anxiety? You know, it's when you feel trapped and you can't get out of something. Well, it's, it's a no brainer for me when we look at what we just painted as it was, it was a layup for like, yeah, that's a perfect explanation for why we see an increase. And I think it was like increase in 30, 40% of not just student athletes, but of the um, uh, young adult population in accessing mental health care or ex experiencing mental health difficulties. And it, it was a perfect picture for, for a perfect storm for that. Right. And it also explains why now right, more organizations are hiring not only sport, but also clinical and counseling psychologists, because right, we're, we're treating the symptom after the fact. Right. It creates yes. a great opportunity. And the psychologists I work with, right, of course, they joke about it like, oh, I've got great job security. Yeah. You're going the systems, the systems are so dysfunctional. It's the system. Yeah. I mean, kids are feeling whether, you know, no matter what their parents care about, they're feeling that pressure because one parents are spending time doing it. They're driving them all over the place, trying to, you know, they're talking about how great they are in their sport. And that, that builds on kids shoulders to be, you know, I have to, I have to do this. It's just, it's really sad. I was very lucky that my dad never put that kind of pressure on me. So he played in the NFL for a year. But growing up, he didn't let me play football. I started off playing soccer for, like, that was my first sport that I really, like, felt passionate for. And then I got into basketball. And when I got into basketball, he would provide opportunities for me to get better, like putting me in, like, different camps to work out with older kids um, and stuff like that. But he never, there was never any pressure around, like, you have to be great at this. But he would just say, like, hey, I will share with you how to get better if you want. And yeah. then I kind of found football my freshman year in high school. And he was there as a resource as much as I wanted him to be, but he was not really overbearing about it. So I was very grateful that he kind of let it all come to me. But I did see in a lot of cases, um, parents really pushing their kids hard to play a sport. And you could see how this was way more about them than it was about the kids. What do, you, what do you think about that, Trevor? Maybe the parenting style. I'm wondering if you got any thoughts on that parenting style and, and the the uh, thought process then of Asante's dad to go, I, I came from this, but maybe he's aware of some of the issues as well as your possible reaction to it. The, you know, the twofold. One, I think parents come from the idea of, from a cognitive development, the kid doesn't know what's good for them. And so a parent takes that and says, all right, well, I know what's good for my kid. So I'm going to make the choice for them. But when you don't give that kid that level of, again, choice and voice and starting to develop that autonomy early on and having more of the conversation, which again, being able to teach your kid communication skills from a parent to child and allowing that almost kind of a, an equal standpoint. Um, again, character development right there, that would be so much more helpful for the kid to be able to, again, gain more autonomy of saying, okay, this makes sense of why you don't want me to do it, rather than just telling the kid no or telling the kid yes. 
Um, that for me is when it's a collaborative relationship with a parent and child within sport, academics, anything else, um, A, is going to increase the relationship and B, is going to increase that kid's likelihood that they're going to maintain and adhere and stay in the sport and less chance of experiencing burnout because of that level of autonomy and less pressure to say, I got to do this because my parents said so. That's kind of the things that shout out to, shout to me when Asante was sharing that, um, the, his story. Well, we have a secret that we're going to let everyone in on. Um, the two of you are going to be having your own show on SPKN, which is fantastic. It's called Beneath the Armor, which I, I love that. Uh, I love that title. Um, do you guys want to tell us a little bit about it? You're gonna, these two are going to do a show? Yes, we are. <laughs> <You knew> that. <laughs> Lucky audience. We just talked to them for 50 minutes. Now they're going to get their own show then. Now they get their own show. We like them that much. <laughs> so we're going to interview uh, professional athletes, Olympic athletes, uh, former college athletes, uh, talking about like their personal stories, like what they went through to get to the levels that they, they reached, and also talking about the different transitions that they experienced. Um, no matter how their careers ended, whether they reached the mountaintop or like me and a lot of other athletes ended kind of unceremoniously based off injury or what have you, uh, but kind of going through like the pregame of like their development before uh, reaching like college, um, the game of like that experience of in college, the pros, the Olympics and postgame of how they transitioned away from the sport. Yeah. And I think the, the, to add to that, what we just talked about, which is the understanding of like the how of making it to that level of success and that competition uh, can come at a significant cost. Um, you know, specifically, we learn at that early age of that sacrifice of personal and social identity for the sport de development. Um, and obviously that can kind of create at times a very feeling of being trapped, the weight of the world on, on the athlete's shoulders to meet those expectations. Um, which obviously can then follow up with a whole host of mental health difficulties. So then when we think about transition, which is inevitable, whether it's expected or unexpected, you know, you better believe that your mind and body are going to react either with defensiveness, they're going to act maybe with a struggle of range of emotions, whether it be positive or negative. And so because of the inevitability of it, and because of maybe like we, we mentioned is in sport, it's not really built in throughout your time in that process of developing what's what's life like after the sport. What we're hoping to create is a space for really successful athletes to share their story, to help others going through either a similar transition or experience, but also to really provide that education for students um, kind of growing up and wanting to be in the field where they knew they couldn't make it from the athletic standpoint, but they wanted to be it from the health, health, the health profession or the the serving um, field. And so that for us is twofold for the athlete, but also for the health professional that wants to help out the athlete from a mental health or sports science or coaching way. And just real quick comment on, on one thing too, that both y'all said, or in two different things, Asante too, that the internalization, you played in the league, my man, right? You played in the NFL. The internalization that your, your career ended uh, without like a luster, like a, like a bang, right? Like, like there was an injury, but like you also were like one of the top percentages of athletes in the world in the NFL. But unless it goes out, right, unless you go out like Tom Brady, like 
married to the supermodel and winning Super Bowl after Super Bowl after Super Bowl, you still haven't really achieved it. Like, like, like that's how crazy our ideals are, yeah. you know, and how internalized it is. And the, and the importance then of that, of what y'all are talking about with transitions and, you know, I'm, I'm a terrible loser. I mean, I got hurt, you know, tackling the quarterback. You still got a first down. And that, was the end of, that was the end of my division three career. I mean, that's how lame I was. Um, but like, yep. yeah, we all, as athletes, we all romanticize the idea of kind of just riding off in the sunset after winning that fifth Super Bowl. Of, um, but that's not the case for most athletes. Most athletes don't get to go out on their own accord. They don't necessarily know that their last play was going to be their last play. I'm sure you didn't think for you after you tackled and he got the first down. <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't play third and one man. I had him in the backfield. I had him, and then my shoulder got dislocated, and he still got the first down. I was like, "Oh man, oh man, that was it." But that, that's just how it goes, and it's okay because it happens to a lot of us. So understanding how to kind of like learn from that uh, and take what you've learned from sport overall and help use that in your transition away is so important. There's a, there's a lot of good, too, and I can't wait to see y'all and tune into y'all's show, too, because there's a lot of interesting academic work right now on transitions and student-athlete or athlete development. Uh, there's, there's special issues of journal. There's some new books that are just published, and there's new books coming out on retirement, transitions, and there's a new one that's out on mothering. There's another kind of aspect of what well, you think about a female athlete, too, that you know, they're competing and then they get pregnant and then they're back to competing. What a series of transitions too. And the same thing for fathering as well. Um, so just can't wait to hear more and then share that work and, and see where y'all head with everything. Sounds like you might get into a little bit of perfectionism as well, maybe, perhaps. Yeah, well, that's always, <laughs> that's always a theme. I was just gonna say, isn't that present in all highly competitive individuals? Yeah. It's just, it's just whether it's healthy or not. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right. Well, um, we are very excited about the new show. And you guys already have some some people lined up, don't you? Uh, do you want to share or you want to kind of keep it secret? or? Yeah, we've, we've got uh, people like Patrick Willis lined up. We have Jim Harbaugh lined up. We have uh, Tiana Madison. Uh, we have uh, Cassie Lickman. We have a lot of uh, professional athletes already, Olympians. So we're excited to have yes. Jen Welter. Uh, yeah, Jim yeah. Welter. She's got kick. All right, guys. Well, we really appreciate you being on, and uh, we look forward to the new show. Uh, so thanks for the time. Great. Thank you guys for having us. Thanks for listening. Make sure to leave us a five-star review and hit the follow button because there's more sport knowledge on the way. If you're interested in more information or want to engage in further conversation about these and other issues in sport, visit our website at spknmedia.com. To stay updated on all things SPKN, follow us on social media at SPKN Media or email us at team at SPKNmedia.com and we'll be happy to welcome you to the SPKN community.